Welcome back to Expert Instruction, the Teach by Design podcast, where we dive deeper into the research surrounding student behavior by talking with the people implementing these practices, where they work, and with the students they support. I'm Megan Cave. And I'm Nadia Sampson. Okay, so before we get into this episode, Nadia and I kind of have some news. We're taking this show on the road, people. For the very first time, we get to present this whole Teach by Design expert instruction podcast format at a whole conference, like a like a grown-up conference where people sit in a room and like <laughs> listen to us. So if any of you are planning to be in Portland at this year's Northwest PBIS conference at the end of April, you got to make a plan to come and see us. And we're going to try and behave, aren't we? Yeah, a little yes. bit. Yeah, a, a little bit. bit. For the yeah. most part, we've got to be yeah. professional. So we got a good spot. The first session after lunch, that's our spot. So it's a good one. Um, and we'd love to be able to look out into the audience and see your faces. I mean, really, Ned, let's be honest. We're really just banking on looking out and seeing like anybody out there. In the Any audience. faces would be good. Yes, but your faces, you guys, would be the best faces to see. <laughs> Dr. Billy Joe Rodriguez, who's been on the podcast before, and Noah Van Horn, who's just the best, will be joining us actually in our presentation to talk about how we can lean on those tier two practices to support this growing need that schools have uh, school-wide to support behavior. We're still kind of working out on all the details, but we're meeting up with Billy Joe and Noah this week over coffee, you know, to really solidify the topic. All of us are so excited about the opportunity and we cannot wait to share it at the conference in April. There's still time to register if you haven't yet. If you've been on the fence, come on, we're a good reason to sign up now. So go ahead and register. We'll put the link to the conference in the description of this episode. Anyway, that's our news. We're so excited about it. Now we got to get back into the details, right? Of this episode, we actually have a podcast to tell you guys about. So <laughs> every February, we devote our Teach by Design space to the research and practices that improve equity in your school. And this month, we're talking about VDPs. We've talked about vulnerable decision points before with Dr. Eric Gervin on this podcast, but it's such a deep topic. There's always so much more to say. So today we're gonna to keep adding to that conversation. We're talking about vulnerable decision points or VDPs. And we get to have that conversation with two of our colleagues here at Educational and Community Supports. It's so nice, isn't it? To like talk with people that you know. I love like that. We just, we just feel so much more comfortable. It's like a natural, and we have to record it in person, which is so great all in the same room. Dr. Sean Austin and Maria Reina Santiago Rosario joined us in our conversation today. Maria is a research associate at ECS. Her research focuses on racial equity in school discipline, measuring teacher expectations of students and culturally responsive practices in the classroom, and supporting students who receive special education services in their transition from middle to high school. Sean is also a research associate at ECS. In his research, he focuses on positive behavior support, implementation science, as well as professional development. Prior to completing this, he worked for several years as a school psychologist, predominantly in middle and high schools, supporting students with behavioral needs. So as soon as Megan and I got together to come up with questions for this conversation, we realized pretty quickly that we would have more to say than would fit in one episode. So I'm we decided pretty sure, I'm pretty sure our conversation lasted like an hour and a half just exactly. coming up with questions. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
So we knew we couldn't do it all in one session and we decided Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't try to force it. Nope. So in this episode, we explored the nature of VDPs and why it's useful to focus our attention on identifying them in the first place. And we heard from Sean and Maria about the challenges that they faced while helping school teams Mm -hmm. realize their role in both contributing to the disparate outcomes as well as implementing strategies to solve the problem. Those conversations can be so hard to have. Yes. So Maria and Sean have so much more to say on this topic. So they're coming back for round two next month. Mm -hmm. Um, We hope you'll join us as we talk about what comes next after you've identified your VDPs. You won't want to miss it. But for now, check out part one of our series because there's a lot of good nuggets to sit and think about in this one. Sean and Maria, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice. It's always so nice to record these things with people that we know. Yes. 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 Um, So today we're talking about vulnerable decision points. And over in our Teach by Design article, we explored some of that more in depth. So people can, if you haven't listened to it or haven't read it, just pause us for just a second and go over there, check it out. It's got a lot of really good information, but if you want, maybe we can give people just a brief idea of what is a vulnerable decision point. Does somebody want to go jump in? A VDP. Yeah, 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 I'll th- yeah, thank yeah you, can we Matt, just so. call them VDPs oh, from now on? Because yeah. 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 It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. So yeah. yes, we will call them VDPs. Okay, good. And so VDPs are essentially these situations in which uh, you're more likely to rely on racial or other bias yeah. to make decisions. Right. Yeah. And so that's that's the, the crux of it. That's what we're talking about every time we're saying VDP is just these, these situations that are characterized by certain circumstances mm-hmm. that lead us to make decisions based on information that's not super relevant. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I would I would add to that. It's like there's the situation, right? But also your internal state, like your uh-huh. decision, your mind state in that moment. Yes. That in combination mm-hmm. can lead to, you know, making reaction. a decision you wouldn't normally make right. if you right. were given the time and space to be yeah. fully considered in it. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I remember, uh, we spoke with, um, Eric Gervin on the podcast, a year or two ago. I can't remember. Um, but when we were talking about it, he, um, used the term implicit bias, um, in that conversation. And so the way that he described it to me was that it doesn't just because you have it, we all have an implicit bias. Um, but it's a way that we can make really quick decisions based on information that we've like that we've collected in the past, right? And so um, it's it's a way to help us make efficient decisions when we don't have a lot of time. The problematic part of that is that we get to these places where our decisions can actually be more impacted by a bias and it affects the outcomes for students or other people in a disproportionate way. So um, when we think about, when I think about a VDP, I know what mine are. Do you, Nad, do you know what yours are? Like, well, what are those moments when tired, you're tired, yeah. stressed, um, hungry, hungry, didn't have the caffeine, uh-huh. all the things. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes. Do you guys, do you guys have your own or keys? lost yeah. my keys? Oh, right. <laughs> Nadja told us she can't find her keys. So she came in in quite a state today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know I make a lot of decisions in my day. And so by the time I get home, when someone asks me what's for dinner, (laughs) and if I don't have a plan for dinner, I don't, I'm not always kind in my response to them when they say what's for dinner. If I wasn't, if I wasn't so fatigued by my own decision making, I would, I would say, I don't know, what, what sounds good to you? But, you know, in that moment when I've made a lot of decisions in my day, I, I'm a lot shorter in my, I don't know, what go do something making? else. I don't know. Ask your dad. <laughs> what are you making? I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Sean? Yeah. Going, I can think of many situations where I go to those default responses of, I don't know. I don't know. Not, not the time bedtime for me Um, anyone with one or more children understands that bedtime (laughs) is stressful yeah it's it's a time when you are usually tired and when everyone else is tired so there's really (laughs) nothing that works well about that situation if you try to do it early it's still it's not much change no Uh -uh. and it's always the time too when the kids just like spin up like their energy increases somehow you know (laughs) like what is happening I've lost total control (laughs) it really makes me think too how many vulnerable decision points teachers have sure that educators have during a day because they're not dealing with just one two or three they're dealing with students in and out of their classroom all these different transitions Mm -hmm. all these things are happening and so I don't think we always appreciate no all those VDPs. No, or notice them when as they're happening. Right. Because right. they happen all the time. Right. Um, so I guess in a way to transition a little bit from our own personal VDPs um, into what you're talking about, Nad, is that schools are systems. They're little like they're little ecosystems, little communities where um where we all go and we all have our own experiences, including teachers. And um, and so Sean, in your work, you actually took some data, right? You can explain it for the people, but you took some you took some data to look and see if there were some common moments that happen in schools that lead to more disparities than others. Is that right? That's so how many exactly. school how many schools are we talking about? What's the data set? What'd you find? So it was 992 schools, so almost a thousand. Uh-huh. It was a national sample. And so it was really, I'm not going to say it was representative of schools around the country, but it was derived from a sample. And the reason that I say that is because it was specifically looking at schools that had significant racial disparities for Black students compared to all other students. And so the patterns that I was identifying uh, in the paper that you read and probably mentioned in the the article, um, those are all, those are all schools that have these these issues that, uh-huh. um, you could you could identify that in, within their data set there were patterns that said maybe we should look and see what's going on here yeah yeah okay so, yeah so the purpose was to filter out okay of these schools that are having this issue what are the vulnerable decision points that are yeah present? great so what did you find well you know it's pretty consistent with some previous research that's been done by uh dr gervin who has been on before mm-hmm. and um Smolkowski is another researcher as well, and Ken McIntosh. Mm-hmm. And so they, they've identified these patterns of uh, behaviors that are more subjective in nature, or, or ones that students are more likely to be, um, students are more likely to be referred disproportionately gotcha. uh, for those. So the situations where it's not really clear what is right. the line of, say, defiance. Yeah. What is defiant behavior if you need to define that? And how do you characterize that line between what I can manage in the classroom and what, mm-hmm. I, can, what I need to send out? Yeah, that's a good, it's a really big point too, right? Like 
these um, these classroom, the behaviors that you manage in the classroom compared to the behaviors that you're like, this, this needs someone else to handle a response. Like I am going to send you somewhere else out of the classroom, right? So there's like a severity of behavior that is left up to the person who's referring or dealing with the behavior initially to determine, right? So yeah. those subjective behaviors like you're talking about where we all define them differently in our in our minds and in our classrooms, yeah. Exactly, and so what my study did was look at all of the various intersections of behavior, time, and place within schools okay. and identify the situations that were most likely to result in a BDP, the situation. Uh -huh. that, um, uh, has the, the greatest evidence bias, right? Yeah. Proportionality. Um, and so the result uh, for the, like, the situations, uh -huh. unsurprisingly, defiance uh -huh. in the classroom, uh -huh. and then in the afternoon, in the morning, and midday. All day. You're, just, you're talking all day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was, it was not, uh, it was, it's not one of those that like, oh, it's, it's like this. It's most in the morning when they show up or on the, in the afternoon when everyone's tired. It's no, it's all day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there were a couple other behaviors further down the list, but the top three were all defiance in, in the, the classroom. classroom. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Did you find anything that was surprising in the data? Uh, yeah. So that you were not expecting. Yeah. Within this discussion of like the subjective behaviors, we have a in our head of what that typically is. Right. The behavior that is like, well, it happened or it didn't. Um, that's a more objective behavior. So right. physical aggression is one of those that traditionally has been considered that way. And in uh, the data, it was pretty clear physical aggression is actually a VDP mm. in many schools. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it made the, the top 10 list, which accounted for, I think, 75% of all VDPs in all schools wow. in the sample. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of, when I was reading about it, um it was that was surprising to me too but you know when you think about it there are different ways of defining what is aggressive behavior and you know maybe it's horseplay or someone's just like right. bumping each other around or whatever and when does that then become aggressive behavior mm -hmm. that's right. the subjective part of it right mm -hmm. that it's something you can manage on your own in the classroom is be like hey knock it off or it's no 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 hey you're to the office you know right right yeah, that was really interesting to me. Um, I was talking with Kent a little bit, um, our director here at ECS, and um, I was talking with him a little bit about it. And he said that there are schools that he's been to where um, uh, he was observing the behavior in the class or in the hallway, and he noticed students like punching each other in the arm, and he was like, "Whoa, that's like a lot," <laughs> you know, like that's that's kind of intense, but it turns out that culturally in the place where he was, this was just a thing that kids do. And the, and the, the, the part of it that was important to them is like how many, it was called taken licks. And it was like, how many punches can you take before it's too much, you know? And it was just like a thing that kids did in that particular area and the staff didn't have a problem with it. And other kids didn't have a problem with it. And so that behavior, while it looked like aggression or physical aggression potentially it was totally fine within that context so it's just interesting how we can all see the same behavior but code it differently you know the severity of it or even what our response to it should be and physical aggression was one that I hadn't considered to be a subjective behavior but you know when you point it out in the data it's like well, yeah 
<laughs> of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so under what circumstances do you consider it? Right. right? Like, and if you're just seeing a student in the hallway that you don't have a relationship with and right. something like that, you don't, you're not aware of this game or. Yeah. Whatever it yeah, is. Yeah. Whatever it is. You, you might re respond differently. Yes. And that's what the data are kind of indicating. Yeah. So why? So, we, okay. Why are we talking even about BDPs? Like in your work, why does this matter so much? What is the what is the point and why should we be looking out for these moments? Maria, do you want to share? Sure. Um, well, the thing is, like, we have limited cognitive energy, or at least that's a way that I think about this. Yeah. So we got to help people be strategic about when can I use like my efforts to make the biggest interruption yes um and create more equitable spaces so we yeah. help schools identify or individual teachers identify their vulnerable the BDPs so that they can be intentional about when you know do I put a stop to myself or uh -huh. do I become more aware uh -huh. that I'm in that moment uh -huh. so I can do something about it right it's the small the place where you can put in it's the smallest change for the biggest impact yeah and it reminds me of the work that I know you guys do NAD in your Swiss trainings where you help people define their precision mm -hmm. the precise problem statements mm -hmm. right that you could be looking at just behavior in your school right. or you can find the place where you're getting the most behavior the who what when where and why or the precise yes and uh so you statements. narrow it all down to like where are we getting the most behavior and why does it seem to be happening so that you can start there right, right. you're not trying to you're not trying to tackle all the things that are happening in your building you're trying to tackle this one thing so that you have fewer behaviors happening here and so i think with vulnerable decision points it's it's similar it's a similar idea right that you're not just looking at disproportionality and inequity in your school on the whole, you're trying to find the place where you're most likely yeah. to make a decision that's influenced by your implicit bias. Right. right. So different to when we're looking just at behavior through Swiss, we're identifying that moment not to do something to someone else. Yes. But to for us to take an yes. action. Yes. That right. that is making an impact and in, in disrupting, you know, um inequities yeah it's such an important point because often when we talk about behavior we're talking about the behavior that students have but the referral itself is it, it's both ways right it's the behavior we see and it's our response as adults to that behavior yeah. and so when we're looking what I'm hearing you say is that when you're looking at a vulnerable decision point you're really identifying the way the response that we have as adults that is most likely affected by our implicit bias or unconscious bias. Um, and so it's it's knowing when that moment is coming and trying to find a different response or something that would make it more equitable and intentional instead of like a knee-jerk efficient response. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the next place then that we go is like once you know what it is, like when that moment happens, there's like. I don't know. How do you describe it? There's like the the data that tell you what the vulnerable decision point is. There's the solution to the vulnerable decision point. But at some point, there's this self-awareness that has to happen, right? To, un to know that it actually is our response that's creating this outcome and uh, and that we have somehow contributed to it. 
and that we're responsible as adults to the, find the solution and be part of that solution to create a change. So I know that you guys have worked with staff on how to move through this process of like identifying those points and then take under helping them to understand that what their role is. So how do you help? What where do you start in that conversation so that you don't just say look at these outcomes it's not great and then have everybody go ooh I don't know what to do about that, <laughs> you know. Well we um we start by talking about implicit bias generally and uh -huh. showcase how implicit bias come up in like all these different fields and you know like they're not like referees and like okay. making decisions you know in group you know a black referee might be more biased um you know to to you know call a fault on or a foul on a white player uh -huh. instead or um just like our bias in terms of gender mm -hmm. or or height and how that's related to mm -hmm. you know the amount of money that you make or, mm -hmm. or things along those lines so that people understand that everyone experiences implicit bias okay and it's an automatic response and across these different fields um we there's we become a you know we people try to become aware of it using data mm -hmm. um, and identifying these patterns. Mm -hmm. um, so that something can be done about it. And just like you know, bringing people along with that mm -hmm. um, and not starting with like, here's your data. Fix mm -hmm. <laughs> it. You're, you're biased. You're, you're a hot mess. mess. People are going to just listen as I'm being, I'm a, are you calling me racist? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, identifying that, that everyone has implicit bias um, and everyone experienced moment when we're vulnerable to make decisions that are not aligned with our values. Uh -huh. um, and in terms of the context of schools yeah. and, and training or talking about VDPs and bringing folks in this journey with you, you're doing this work, you know, in either a sequence or a one-time um, professional development opportunities outside of real time. So we start with these trainings, talking to them about these concepts and creating opportunities for learning so that they understand what these are, then providing them with opportunities to self-reflect. Mm. You know, what the data in my school is telling us, you know, of what these VDPs are if they're considering also their personal decision states, like what are those triggers for me? Mm -hmm. um, and helping them create their own precise problem statement mm -hmm. of when these DDPs are. Mm -hmm. um, but this is something that needs a lot of practice. It's mm -hmm. not like I learn about it, identify the moment with um, where I could have the biggest impact and then I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. You know, we we encourage the practice, encourage accountabilities, um, having teams, you know, create accountability partners or think of ways where, where we can remind each other to um, identify them these in real time. Because mm -hmm. the adults in the school got to learn about this and practice this 
change in behavior mm -hmm. um, before we even think of modeling this for students yeah. uh, or as a larger community. Yeah. Um, so we start with the trainings, but uh -huh. then, you know, what, what are next steps that we're going to carry through out the year yeah. to have this at the forefront? What does that self-reflection process look like? What are the, some of the questions that you have people consider as they're reflecting on what they see? Yeah, so, um, you know, if we're looking at school data and they've identified a group that's identified, you know, as being more at risk for exclusion, um, we have them think of students um, from that group and behaviors that they um may get triggered by. So let's take Sean's example, right? Defiance in the classroom as a subjective behavior. Let's say that comes up as like, this is the VDP, right? Yeah. So then you would have them say, well, what for you would you consider to be defiant behavior? How What does it look like yeah. to you? What do you see in your classrooms and how do you respond? Right. Would, you, would that be, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. So we have them think about what are, yeah, like tell us like, tell us some examples or write down some examples and share with the group that you're working yeah. with in that moment. And it might be like, when students are interrupting me as I am um, teaching them or when they um, are not listening to me or mm -hmm. they are talking with a peer, mm -hmm. right? But we also have them think about, well, what might be a cultural yes. explanation for these behaviors, mm -hmm. right? And we do spend more time during those trainings to think about like elements of culture mm -hmm. and like different um behaviors like clothing wise or how you talk to adults and uh -huh. how that's how do you do that mm -hmm. you know how are you taught to do these things mm -hmm. how do your students go about that now how mm -hmm. is this similar or different mm -hmm. and why and have them reflect upon you know possible cultural explanations but also a function like the why do this yeah. behavior is mm -hmm. like are the students meeting some type of need by you know, communicating with a peer as you're talking mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. you know, um, something along this line, just looking at the behavior from different places. Because mm -hmm. um, what happens in the VDP is that your your mind goes to, you know, like the, the, the negative piece to it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Instead of maybe being able to take a moment and see it from another point of view uh -huh. that... Uh -huh because of the circumstance and your decision state, you're just yeah. biased to react to a stereotype or, or also biased to be in a negative state of mind. Uh -huh. Something uh, that I was thinking about too, was that um, for me, I think a, vul a VDP, another one is uh, being interrupted, can be like really, it can be a hard thing, you know, when I'm in the middle of talking or whatever, and I'm interrupting and I realize now that I'm saying that I think I might've no. You interrupted Nat. No, nope. we were um, just about to talk at the but same the other, time. But the other thing that I do is I get excited when someone else is sharing and then I start to talk mm -hmm. at the same time. And so the the conversational overlap is something that I do. And yet if I'm in a professional place, sometimes when someone interrupts me, I'm like, I, I don't like that, you know? And <laughs> Right. And so I, it's like having an awareness even of like where my VDP is in conflict with my own personal action. Mm -hmm. 
it makes me think of some of what you were saying, Maria, too. And for some reason, I keep going back to tardies, like kids that are tardy, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. And I ask, as an educator or as an adult, I'm one of the things I ask myself is, why is this kid late every time? And if I even just have a glimmer of understanding of, oh, this kid has a hard time getting here on time because his right, like, and I know tardy, not quite the behavior we're talking about, but still, it's kind of like as an educator, as I'm reflecting on this, how do I, what do I not know that I need to know that would help mm, me understand mm. why this is triggering for me? But also, just like you said, what's going on for the student that they're behaving in this mm -hmm. way? Why is it a trigger for me? So it's also just this level of understanding that kind of goes um, internally, but also externally trying to um, have a level of understanding about what's going on for the student. And if I had this piece of information, could I have made another, would that help me make another decision? Or can I remember this piece of information so that next time this comes up, I can say, oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> I remember now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something yeah. like that. So. Mm -hmm. sure. It's making me think too of a conversation that you and I were having the other day um, where this work of defining for us, what does this look like um, is an important thing. And then also asking students for their perspective on expected behaviors or how to define the behaviors that we're that we want to see versus the ones that maybe aren't like what's appropriate and inappropriate because even those terms right appropriate and inappropriate <laughs> are so different depending on who you talk to and so getting kids involved or students involved in the process at some point would help to possibly expose right those differences that we have like I define um, disrespect this way, but my students define disrespect mm -hmm. this way. And then you mm -hmm. see the difference and you're like, oh, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. maybe even some of my behaviors they would see as disrespectful. And so that's why they behave the way they do when I'm talking to them, you know, where there's like a, there's a mismatch there, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly right. Having students involved and getting their voice included in the process seems mm -hmm. important. And you were, so you were saying that the work for adults needs to happen. And then students can become part of this process too. For sure. Um, yeah, um, definitely. Um, we 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 provide these practice opportunities, like yeah. these activities. Like yeah. you're talking about an exercise that we call personal matrix. Okay. Where you know we have the values of our school or the mm -hmm. expectations. Mm -hmm. And we know what they are, or maybe they know what they are in the school, or at least they've seen maybe a poster or heard them at some point. But then you explore those at home or in their community or with their friends and mm -hmm. see how they're different or not and, and try to identify, you know, for the teacher as an exercise of self-reflection, are there things that I can change in my classroom to make this more of a space that, that align with with my uh -huh. students' values, uh -huh. um, you know, is there some room for flexibility or workplaces where I know there's a lot of code switching happening uh -huh. or where more practice opportunities are needed because uh -huh. there's a, a, a difference um, that, you know, not that you're, you place like a, a negative value to it, but you just realize there's just a different in context mm -hmm. and that the, your kids are navigating, your teens are navigating. Uh -huh um all the time yeah 
Yeah. Um, so definitely, but you gotta, we open the, the spaces or like the school, you know, school leadership open the, the spaces for, for these trainings to occur so that the adults, you know, we're learning together as a community. Um, but it, it starts with us as the adults and the community, because if we don't do that, we miss a lot of opportunities that happen in real time to teach our students the same things that we're just learning about. Say more about that. Like, um, for instance, talking about BDPs and neutralizing routines, um, it's very humanizing for students when they see their teachers make a mistake in front of them. Oh, and sure. And be able yeah. to realize that that yeah. happened. In and the moment. Call in the moment and call attention to, you know, what I just said or what I just did, you know. Yeah. Oops. Oops. Right? <laughs> oops. For whatever reason, without, you know, uh-huh. going into, you uh-huh. know, oops. Yeah. And that in itself serve as a learning opportunity for the students and realize, well, this doesn't only happen to me. Yeah. It also happened to adults. Uh-huh. And I just saw someone make a mistake call themselves out and tell us like what they were feeling you know they're providing like the vocabulary or yeah the alternative behavior like what you would want them to do instead if mm-hmm. they were in that situation mm-hmm. but for the adult to to be able to do that they gotta be aware yeah <laughs> you, you know and to- open to and some people are more in tune with those things naturally but not we we shouldn't assume that everyone you know is there a moment in your training where you see a lot of people go, oh, where like they, something, something happens where they go, oh, I get it. I understand what it is that I'm doing or this, how this affects me and my responses or something like that. Because I just know that person on a personal mm-hmm. level, I've had conversations with people to try and identify the ways in which we contribute to the inequities that happen in our culture in our American society and those conversations can go fine and those conversations can also be tricky especially with the white people that I know right as a white woman talking to other white women it can be a tricky situation right to say sometimes you actually do something that contributes to the way the outcomes that other people experience and it's hard for them to see that because they feel that they are not racist, they're not mm-hmm. prejudiced, whatever. And so it's difficult, I think, for for them to make the jump from, well, that's not I don't that's not part of who I am to, oh, I do, I do somehow, I do contribute to this in in this particular way. Yeah, it's yeah. like there's a level of defensiveness sometimes where it's yeah. like, not or me. just confusion yeah, in general. Confusion. You know, yeah. Where they're like, I, like, I don't get it. Or I believe I, don't get or, it. I can't yeah. be doing this. You know? You know, one of the first uh, activities that we do as a part of these trainings is uh, like a rapid association test, right? Mm-hmm. So you're presented with information words and you're said you're asked to say, does this belong in category A or category B? Mm-hmm. And um you know, category A might be, you know, this is a male kind of word, this is, a, and then category B is a female type word. And so okay. we walk them through this test, do a couple practice, and then um, you, you present words that you're, t- that you tell them explicitly, okay, male is associated with workplace, the female is oh, going to okay. be associated with home, home, and then you switch on, an, on another uh, round, yeah. mm-hmm. and you have them discuss, and, and, and 
express, you know, was that different for you? Yeah. Is that more challenging to do it that second round yeah. after being trained to do it yes. the, the other way? Yeah. And so for a lot of people, I think that gets them, that, that gets so them like, thinking well, I about. I do have these connections built into my brain. Exactly. And and the, the key to those decisions is it's supposed to be quick. You only mm -hmm. get to see each word for about a second. Yeah. And so it's just, okay, which category? And you uh -huh. slap your leg one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. At least virtually when we're writing <laughs> virtually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, it becomes like this aha of, oh, mm. yeah, that that felt awkward. And it's like your brain is working really hard to, to do it quickly. But when you're doing that, you make mistakes. Yes. And, and it's just a mistake. It's just. A Oops. Mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. So, uh -huh. so we definitely start with different types of biases before we even talk about. Race. Yes. Yeah. Um, because. When we do, there is a level of difference. Yeah, that. of course. Um, and that's appropriate. And, you know, we need to have that be in this space and work through it uh -huh. as a group. And it's not it's definitely not necessarily easy or, you know, um, the one thing that we do acknowledge is like, well, we when we see a video of a circumstance, mm -hmm. In a park, for instance, that's another example we use with white male, black male. You know, are they rubbing, you know, this bike, for mm -hmm. instance? Mm -hmm. And one thing that's common is people like to think that, well, if I were a, a passerby, I would stop that yeah. person. And it's like, we validate that. Maybe you, you would. Yeah. Maybe you would. What yeah. we know uh -huh. is that pattern. Uh -huh. like, most people wouldn't. Yeah. For for the white person. Yeah. Yeah. But most people would call the police on the black person I immediately. See. I try not to question necessarily like sure. different values. Sure. You know, it, it is a moment where people are like, but these are my values. <laughs> no, it's confusing. Yeah. It's and confusing. it's like we we know that some things our values are and we're we want to do the best for our kids. Um or, or we think that we are fair and equitable all the time. And maybe you are sometimes. But we know there are situations, mm -hmm. places, things, moments where the pattern tell us differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and bring it back to this is not just one individual. No. This is a collective mm -hmm. problem. Yeah. Um, or, you know, and, and we are part of that collective uh -huh. maybe not all the time our decisions influence that but we know most of the time they're aligned with this outcome yeah. Yeah. that tell us that we're being inequitable yeah um so just being able to have those conversations those moments validate you know that we might think this way yeah and sometimes that might be the case because there are people that are doing work on themselves to try to, you know, make better decisions or, but the fact is that not everyone is, or even if you are, not every moment you might be able to cut, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's, we need to be very human and, and accept that we make mistakes and, yes. and letting a mistake be, you know, you know, okay. Like you will have another opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, we, but our, our 
what I want from you is a commitment to uh-huh. being aware of this and yeah. trying yeah. and continue that growth. Yes. Um, yeah. And wherever you are in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just yeah. a balance. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really nice. It's uh, I think it's a nice place for us to, to stop and think about um about that and and kind of leave this conversation for for people to consider for themselves like would could they commit to create to becoming more aware of their own vulnerable decision points and um and the way and the context under which they make decisions that don't align with their values but that they would want to start trying to to make a different choice deliberately, you know, and and commit to that work. So I think I think maybe we can end our conversation here today, but that Maria, maybe you can come back and talk to us a little bit more about how we can um, be more deliberate in our responses and uh, and we can talk about those neutralizing routines that you know so much about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate this part of the conversation anyway. I think it gives all of us some um, some things to think about and reflect on um, so that we can dive in next time and and think about how we can do things differently. So thanks so much for for being here, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having yeah. us. Yeah. Yeah.